0: I was probably 20 yards away, and I could see a stomach shaking even so nervous. Really? And they will smell human blood
1: that's outside of the body actually starts to decay.
2: I'm lost, I freely admit. I have no idea. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades, that at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated, or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives, Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed Color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones, and they create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best Case, Worst Case listeners get 10% off, plus free shipping on their first color kit with code Case. That's code Case.
1: Hello, and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is your host, Jim Clemente, former New York City prosecutor, FBI profiler, and writer-producer on CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today is my co-host...
2: Hi, everybody. It's Francie Hakes. Jim and I are very excited to be coming from the Sunshine State today recording in florida
1: that's right we're here on special assignment which you'll hear about soon but not today and with us is our very special guest
0: john mckinney
1: so how are you doing john
0: i'm doing good how about you jim
1: great and it's good to have you here can you tell our listeners what you do for a living
0: sure i'm a detective in northport florida
2: Now, where is Northport, Florida? Just for our listeners, we're in the Tampa-St. Pete area. Northport is not on my radar, so where is it?
0: It's between here and Fort Myers. Uh, It's Sarasota County. Everybody knows Sarasota. Sarasota County, southern Sarasota.
2: And can you tell us a little bit about that jurisdiction, about Northport? Sure. What's it like? How many people?
0: It's exploding. It's blowing up. Population's rising. There's about 70,000 people who live there. Mm-hmm. I think it's the second or third largest city in terms of land mass in the state. So 110 square miles, oh, 70,000 wow. people. Uh, pretty. I don't want to say rural, but certainly not urban. Right.
1: Well, LA is about 550 square miles, and I think there's 10 million people there. Yeah, so.
2: just a little bit yeah. different in population. <laughs> Slightly. And yeah. what kind of sort of crime do you generally experience in Northport?
0: We have every crime you can imagine. Um, obviously not to the scale of some places like L.A., for example, or even St. Pete. But you name it, we typically have a couple murders a year, uh, a lot of drug-type crimes, just like everybody nowadays. Okay, so what's your job? I'm a criminal investigations detective. I investigate everything you can imagine, burglary, robbery, homicide, rape, everything. How long have you been doing it? I've been in investigations for about three years, but I've been on the job for 10.
1: Okay, great.
2: See, our listeners can't see him, but he does look quite boyishly young, I have to say. I mean, I <laughs> well, was a little bit worried, but when he came in, I was thinking to myself, detective already?
0: That's yeah. a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. To maintain these boyish good looks There for you long go, time. <laughs> and it's good for undercover work, right? That's right. That's great. Have you done undercover work? A little bit on some cases, but not a whole lot, No. Yeah.
2: You know, I realize that today there's a lot of serious issues with sexual harassment, so I don't want you to think I'm harassing you. But for our female listeners, we have a lot of those. I just want you guys to know John could totally do 21 Jump Street. They'll all know what I mean.
1: <laughs> Great.
2: So let's get into the real stuff. I'm yeah, not offended.
1: Let's do that. So why don't you start telling us about your best case? Sure. Can you tell us what kind
0: of case it is? It's a murder case. Okay. I was a, uh, I was a new detective. And so, I think that's probably what makes it my best case. Okay. And how did the case come to you? What were you doing when you got the case? I was actually on my way to work. Uh, I try to be an early riser. So I try to get into work around six in the morning usually. Well, um,
2: that's a little bit more than early riser. Did you riser. say
0: get into work at six? At least driving in. Okay. At least driving in.
2: All right. So dedication. I can already see my tweets about this particular episode is going to be hashtag dedicated cop.
0: Okay. Keep going. <laughs> Well, I was on my way into work, and you know I don't. I'm not like a typical cop. I don't drive with a computer up. I might listen to the radio. I hear what's going on. You're a human being. Believe it or not. Oh wow. Yeah, believe it or not. Look at that. I do think about other things sometimes. Okay. So I hear the radio traffic. These guys are talking about a man who had come out of the woods with a knife, and the knife had tissue on it and a bunch of blood. Wow. So they were immediately suspicious.
1: Bad sign.
0: So let me tell I'm you in
2: a rural area hunting, possible, right? Hunting,
0: right?
1: Yeah, in the FBI we call that a clue. That's a clue. <laughs> All right. That is a clue. So I'm thinking this is not a white collar crime. Correct. Okay, good. See. I, I'm Look imagining
2: that, that the Northport huh? police also call that a clue, James. Really? Yeah. Okay, I just I'm just guessing. To know.
1: Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So so you're on your way, you hear this report. Right. What do you do next?
0: Well, I start to try and call some of the other detectives I'm working with, seeing if anybody had been involved yet. We always have an on-call detective. So mm-hmm. if you're on on-call, you're going to be the one handling that case. You get informed of it. You kind of start rallying the troops. Uh, somebody had already been contacted and people were already out there. Got it. But there was a jurisdictional issue at first between us and the sheriff's office. Okay. So what does
2: that mean exactly, a jurisdictional issue?
0: We weren't sure. First, we weren't sure if there was a crime. And where the person was located was right on the edge of our jurisdiction. So we weren't sure if there was a crime, where did it happen? In our jurisdiction or in the sheriff's office jurisdiction?
2: Great. And so
0: city versus county? Correct. Is that it? And yep. that's
2: Sarasota County.
0: Correct. Yeah.
2: See, I, I listened to what he said at there the beginning, you Jim.
1: You're pretty good sometimes, oh, Francie. Thanks. I try. Uh huh.
2: So you're trying to figure out the jurisdictional issues, and you decide to yourself, it's 6 a.m., I really wanna see a knife with tissue and blood on it.
0: I call my boss who is already on her way there. So I head over there and start helping out. Did you catch that, Francie?
2: Called his boss, and it's a woman? Yeah. Of course I caught it.
1: Isn't that great?
2: Well, I think it's just normal, Jim.
1: I know. But it's great that it's normal.
2: Well, I mean, I was kind of your boss at DOJ. We've Ah. talked about that.
1: I've so heard this argument. You so totally boy, me. Make me laugh. It's so funny because you were such a junior <clears> at <throat> USA oh, when I was already a, a supervisory special agent so wrong, in the FBI. So I don't so know what's dead. wrong with you, but that's okay.
2: Let's not argue in front of John. Uh,
1: why would we? Why would we ever argue, Francie? No, I don't know. Okay. So, your boss obviously is a little better at <clears throat> communicating than other people here in this room <laughs> named Francie. She's a good
0: communicator. Is she?
2: That's Thank great. Thank you, John. So, that's tell me man.
1: about that
0: interaction with your boss so it was we didn't know what we had at the moment so obviously you don't want to call all the troops there there's other things that need to get done she says we'll figure it out go into the office do your normal work no problem so i go to the office i start doing my normal work and then i'm obviously listening to the radio at this point because i'm curious
2: no, I mean I. I know our listeners understand this already, but just to be completely clear, when you say you're listening to the radio, you don't mean like songs on the radio. You m- right. mean police radio. Well, sometimes both. Yeah,
0: but this time police radio. Yeah. Okay, go
2: ahead.
0: Or sometimes a podcast.
2: Well, excellent.
0: That's really good. It is good because we do want
1: law enforcement officers to hear this mm-hmm. because actually some of the cases that we have discussed, we've talked to officers or agents who really have had a problem with what happened in a case. But after we've discussed it with them, they realize that it really wasn't their fault that something happened or they didn't understand something then, but now they do and they actually learn from it and yeah. they can teach others. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, it's good. I agree.
2: Plus you guys can listen to our podcast and see that we're actually normal people and you should come on and talk to us. There you go. So like that. you're listening to the police radio at work. What happens? What happens?
0: I hear that they maybe found a scene where- And by that, you mean a crime scene? A crime scene, correct, where something looked like it had happened. So I decided at that point, I was nosy enough, I would just go over there, kind of force myself to help. There you go. So I pull up, and it's a a neighborhood that's an older neighborhood, Um, by no means a You know, a ghetto or real rundown, but most of the houses were built in the 50s or 60s, close together, cheapest rent in the city, Um, you know, most people in one area kind of thing. So we had a large crime scene at that point. Typically, as you guys know, we want to set up a crime scene as big as we can, but this was city blocks. Really? Right. Why is that? They found a blood trail. Oh, my. Right. So they wanted to kind of secure the blood trail and anywhere else it might have gone. Got it. I park my car, I ask how I can help. Um, And as I do that, I see one of the later found out to be suspects, just very nervous, pacing back and forth. I happen to have known him from prior interactions as a patrolman and uh, very nervous, pacing back and forth. I mean, I was probably 20 yards away and I could see his stomach shaking. He was so nervous. Really? Right. Good eyes. Mm
2: -hmm. Very observant.
0: Maybe it was a tight shirt. I'm not sure. Okay. But,
2: so, so either way, you're following the what the profilers have always said about people staying at or coming back to potentially the scene of the crime. And so you're doing, you're looking at the crowd. Right. Of so course. you're profiling. Jim, do you hear this? Profiling.
0: I heard that. Very good. Friend. Amateur. Mm, that's okay. Got to start sometime. So, right. So I ask how I can help. And they kind of didn't have an assignment for me at the moment, so I just hung out in the command center area. And uh, I saw in a driveway, which was in our jurisdiction, a, uh, a large pool of blood. You know, very large. Mm. Not like on TV large, but larger than you would normally see. So we started uh, uh, like a canine search and rescue team, mm. which is, they're excellent. Phenomenal people, very good at what they do. And they brought a dog in who could smell for, I'm not sure the exact technical terms they use, but basically they look for blood. Where most police canines will look for drugs or live humans, they look for that decaying odor of blood. Funny you should mention that.
2: Funny you should mention that. Yes,
0: we've just had a recent uh,
1: interaction with a canine unit, and uh, they run cadaver dogs, which they like to call
2: Human remains detecting dogs, yes. HRD dogs, they, right. they say is the, you know, is sort of the nicer name, but sure. it's cadaver dogs. And, and they do smell blood.
1: Yes. And they will smell human blood that's outside of the body actually starts to decay. Right. And so it has the same, some of the same characteristics and the dogs can hit on that. So right. that's probably what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. And that's. And we'll get to it, but it's exactly what they did in numerous different instances. In this case, it was pretty phenomenal.
2: So you see, when you say I just can't help myself, I don't. Maybe I just have a weird imagination. But you say a large pool of blood. You're not talking about something. Someone sliced their finger and might be bleeding. You, you th- it's larger than that.
0: Yeah, it's larger than that. You know, we get a lot of training in like um, tactical casualty care. How much blood can you lose before? This physical thing happens to you. What are your physical capabilities when you lose two pints of blood? How does that look? And this was quite a bit of blood.
1: And so what would your estimate be? Would it be a pint of blood? Would it be half a pint? Would it
0: be four pints? Uh, Three pints, roughly, I would say three pints. Ah, That's pretty significant. So you're
2: thinking you're seeing that much blood and somebody's, whoever lost that is maybe either not alive or close to not alive.
0: Absolutely. That's I think everybody who saw it would think that, no and doubt.
1: Was it on a cement driveway, a blacktop driveway, a dirt driveway?
0: It was on a cement driveway.
1: So it would stand out
0: pretty well. Absolutely. Nice sunny day in Florida and uh, right next to a car. So our natural thing was to find out who lived there. They were quickly determined they had nothing to do with it. And they find this blood trail that leads blocks to the north. mm As we get these dogs on their way, uh, we send a couple of detectives. Where this blood trail is, there's a large wooded area about as far north as you could go in the neighborhood.
1: Now, is this the same wooded area that the guy emerged from with a knife? Correct. That was bloody? Correct. So at the end of the trail, I mean, at one end of the trail, which end of the trail was this?
0: Well, he emerged from the southern edge of the trail where it runs into a road. And there was really no trail where he emerged. It was just brush. Okay. But
1: you can get directionality from dripping blood, right? right. And so were you able to determine which direction the person who was bleeding was
0: going in? Yes. The blood was moving from the south to the north. Okay. Do you, can you, you want to explain to the listeners how you can get that
1: directionality? Sure.
0: You can... You can tell uh, what kind of blood, whether it be like arterial blood or uh, you a know, small cut, capillaries are cut, um, based on what the pattern, and I'm not an expert, but what the pattern looks like. So if there's um, a drop of blood and there's an equal amount of smaller drops around the outside of it, it's typically reasonable to say that somebody was just standing there bleeding.
1: Because... Because when the drop comes down, it, it sort of hits the ground, and the center of it pops up, right? Correct. And then it kind of crowns out. Correct. Right? So if it's straight
0: up and down, you get a circular pattern of those extra drops, right? right. Whereas if you're moving, the blood will have a tail to it. Right. And it depends on how fast the person's going, how much they're bleeding. Obviously, a lot of factors to take into account. But we could tell that the person was moving because... The way the blood tail was. so, And the tail would be in the direction that
1: they're actually moving in, right? Correct.
2: Okay, great. So you have a blood trail. Right. You've got dogs. Right. And you've got a couple of detectives. Correct. And they get to the edge of the woods. And what happens?
0: And it's really, really far back in the woods where you inevitably have to go. They must have walked three quarters of a mile and it was hot. If I remember correctly, it was one of the hottest days of summer.
2: And and in Florida, a hot day could be 100 degrees.
0: Oh, nasty. We yeah, had yeah. humidity. I mean, instant sweat. They were walking. And as soon as they hit this trail area, I remember them saying it, that they were kind of going into a certain area of this trail. The cadaver dogs arrived and they started a search with them. All right. Well, we
1: really want to find out what happens when those cadaver dogs get into those woods. So what happened when the cadaver dogs met the detectives?
0: Well, what ended up happening is the dogs started following the trail. And it was a pretty faint blood trail. Um, They were right on it. And then the detectives radioed to us that they had found a body Mm. in the woods. So the dogs were right three quarters of a mile away from the detectives. So they were right on the path. There's no doubt that they were leading right to the victim. And um, they told us they found a body. We put the dogs up and eventually we went into the area where the detectives were
2: so you went there to the scene yourself yep so what did you see when you got there
0: there was a trash can and i don't know if you guys have these similar trash cans where you're from but they're very big they're on wheels um they're made to so like the, the dump or the garbage truck can dump it itself
1: mm-hmm. right an automated one and yeah they have a big flat hood and it right. it up and dumps Just it like and that. puts it back down
0: they all have numbers on them i guess they're serialized if you will Uh, we saw that trash can on its side and the lid was closed and it was kind of backed up into, it was almost like a trail with a cul-de-sac and behind it was a a little waterway that was uh, not real full, but you could hear the water running. And when we opened the lid, we saw the victim inside the trash can, obviously deceased.
1: Wow. So
2: This is weird. I'm just
1: thinking that possibly that garbage can had holes in the bottom of it. It did. Uh Aha.
2: Well, now, I'm lost. I freely admit I have no idea. Oh,
1: I have an idea. Why
2: garbage cans had holes in the bottom has anything to do with this case. But we'll see if you're right, Jim. I hope not because it would be more fun. There was a
1: blood trail. But go ahead.
2: Well a blood trail, see I'm thinking that Are the person's you thinking? I, really? sometimes Great. I'm thinking the guy's like staggering all this way bleeding because you said the blood drops, right. you know, were moving. And we didn't so know I at that thinking, point. We it. had
0: had no but idea.
2: Jim's now probably right and that the guy is dragging probably. the or rolling, rolling the garbage can.
0: Well, it really dawned on us at that moment too, because we didn't know. There you go. So it wasn't just you, Francis. There you go. Thought it was an awful long way to be bleeding. Yes.
2: Well, especially when you've dropped three pints in a driveway a mile back.
0: Right, right. Sounds
1: like there may be a clue in that garbage can. There was a clue in the garbage can. So go ahead.
0: So what did you find? We found the victim. He was deceased. Uh, Eventually, hear that. Eventually, me too. Uh, Eventually, our medical examiner, who uh, some states refer to it as a coroner, he came. His, his jurisdiction is the victim's body, so we're not supposed to touch the victim's body until they give the okay. Uh, sometimes they respond to our scenes. Sometimes they don't. It just depends on the examiner in the case. He came out for this one, and his job was to take the victim out of the garbage can and kind of document things, what's in his pocket, what are his injuries, and so on. Did
1: they photograph this whole process? Oh,
0: yeah, very much. I believe we videoed that, too. So can we
2: back up for a second? I mean, I know it's obvious with that blood loss, but when you say you open the garbage can and there he is and he's obviously dead, what were were you seeing? I mean, was it just the blood loss so he's clearly not moving? Did someone check his pulse or did he have wounds you could see?
0: His pulse was checked uh, as a matter of just ensuring it. Um, He had a very large wound in his neck. His neck was... Uh, Obviously, his neck was cut around his throat, uh, but it was a very large wound.
2: That's terrible. Okay, so the medical examiner comes and removes the body. Now, I'm assuming you can see more clearly these evidence of injuries.
0: Right, right. Uh, And the main one, the main injury was just a large, the only way to explain it is someone really did a lot of, damage, a lot of trauma to his throat, his, the front of his neck, all the way around to the back.
2: Did it look like cutting injuries to you? Yeah,
0: absolutely, cutting injuries.
2: Just a couple of weeks ago, Jim and I released an episode where I talked about my one of my very worst cases. It was called the man with the machete. And in it, a um, man had attacked his pregnant girlfriend And tried to cut her head off. And so she had, she survived, but she had very severe neck wounds. Obviously not as severe as your Mm -hmm. victim, but I've certainly seen that. And it's a terrible looking wound.
0: My agency's worked a similar case to that also.
2: Yeah. Terrible wound. So then what happened next?
0: So who was the victim? His name was Caesar McClatchy. And how old was he? I forget exactly. Roughly 35.
2: So he was a young guy. Yeah. Yeah,
0: very young. was he known to the police department at all? Not to me. Uh, I don't believe we had a whole lot of dealings with him. We later found out that uh, he was kind of down on his luck. He was staying in a tent in a friend's yard. Um, But by all accounts, a decent guy.
2: Mm. That's terribly tragic. So you you all obviously are waiting for the medical examiner to finish. And really, your investigation is now just beginning. Right. So what do you do?
0: Well, in the meantime, it's kind of my responsibility there was the victim's body, that area. That's kind of a separate crime scene. Um, we had to ensure some things. We eventually, due to the serial numbers on that garbage can, found out the house that garbage can came from. And it was right across the street from the house where that pool of blood was. Uh, turned out that the person who lived in the house with the missing garbage can had heard kind of a loud, he explained it as maybe a car crash or something like that, around 4 a.m. So we talked to him. We were able to narrow down maybe a a time when the crime occurred. In the meantime, other detectives were talking to uh, two suspects, the one I already mentioned.
2: The one with the shaking stomach.
0: The one with the shaking stomach, very nervous, um, acting very odd, and another suspect who was found to be a friend of his. And I believe he was found... With him at the time that the officers, the officers, the second, excuse me, the second suspect was found coming out of the woods and the other guy, the nervous guy, he was found with the suspect coming out of the woods just a short distance away. Okay.
2: Okay. So obviously somebody wants to talk to the suspects.
0: Right. Right. So they talked to the first suspect. Uh, His name is Nicholas Luciano. And, I believe his original statement was he didn't know what happened, wasn't sure why he was there. Eventually, Mm -hmm. uh, he gave a confession to what happened and admitted to murdering the victim uh, with the knife he was found with. That was the murder weapon. His only reason for doing it was he felt like killing someone. And he did. And the second suspect was interviewed. Uh, He gave... His account of the event said uh, he kind of helped put the victim into the garbage can, um, didn't assist in committing the murder, but helped move him to the wooded area and eventually got spooked and ran away.
2: So which one was Luciano? Was he the nervous guy or the guy in the woods?
0: Luciano was the guy in the woods. So can you back up a little bit? Because you
1: said his first statement was he didn't know what happened and then he confessed. Right. What happened in between?
0: Well, I wasn't there for the interview, so I'm not exactly sure. I think the detectives probably had a clue that he wasn't being honest. Obviously, he was seen coming out of the area with a knife with blood on it. Did they
1: recover the knife?
0: They did, yeah. The patrolman I heard speaking on the police radio on the way in found the knife, and that's what I heard. So I think they probably just pushed him a little bit harder than his original statement. He gave like I said, a confession. They actually did a walkthrough of the crime scene with us later, mm. uh, which was video recorded, which was great evidence.
2: So this guy just, I mean, I know Jim, you were a profiler. You kind of dealt with all, all this all the time, but I'm always amazed. This was just a random killing. Like he just said, oh, I want to kill someone. Oh, look, there's McClatchy.
0: Well, they were friends uh, or should I say acquaintances? They knew each other. The three of them were actually walking somewhere and talking about the idea of robbing a drug house going to rob another house. Mm -hmm. And I would guess that's probably why they had this razor knife on him. So at some point he decided he didn't want to rob the drug house and he wanted to murder his acquaintance instead. And so how did they do it? He said that he cut his throat, couldn't, couldn't guess how many times, but numerous, numerous times.
2: This is horrible. Did the guy did um Luciano have a prior history of violence?
0: Not that I know of. Nothing that really stood out. And did he show any remorse? I would no, he definitely didn't show remorse. Um
2: And about how old was he, Luciano?
0: Mid twenties.
2: So no. just a guy in his mid twenties decides to murder someone for no apparent reason? Do you believe that, Jim? I mean, do you think there was something else going on?
1: Well, it could be that there was nothing else going on, depending on what the mental state and, and or whether or not he was a psychopath. I mean, it sounds like if he was calm, cool, and collected, recovered quickly, uh, kind of a thrill seeker kind of guy, I mean, that kind of stuff is consistent with psychopathy.
2: Well, so what were your observations of him when he did a walkthrough? Did he seem to be very nonchalant about the whole thing? Extremely
0: nonchalant very calm, cool, and collected. Right. Not like other people who have, you know, committed murders, had instant regret.
1: Like his buddy, who was obviously showing physical signs of nervousness. Absolutely. And maybe regret or remorse. Right. This guy sounds like he didn't have any of that.
0: No, I didn't see any.
2: Well, so what happened to Luciano? I hope he's locked away for life. Although Florida does, I will say for our listeners, not to get into it with you, Jim, but they do have the death penalty Mm -hmm. here. They do.
0: They do. Interesting. He was sentenced. I believe the jury deliberated for about two hours. He was found guilty. So he was convicted after trial. What was the sentence? He was sentenced to life on the murder charge. It was a first degree murder. And he also got 30 years on the robbery I had mentioned, too. Oh, wow.
2: Well, that's fantastic. And so that means hopefully someone on Twitter remembers I always say, hopefully that's a pine box sentence. Because he's coming out in a pine box.
1: Well, it's unfortunate that someone would feel that they could or should or wanted to just take somebody's life randomly like that. It's a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. And hopefully this is a cautionary tale for anybody else who might hear it.
2: And you might just decide, hey, I want to kill someone today.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of long-term consequences for that for the victim and their family, as well as the offender.
2: So wait, you've got a guy who's seen coming out of the woods with a bloody knife. Stop me when I'm wrong. Coming out of the woods with a bloody knife. You've got a blood trail leading police to the victim who's in a garbage can that the, the Luciano had access to. The bloody knife is found. Mm-hmm. It's the murder weapon. Luciano confesses. Still, he goes to trial- and sits in the courtroom and tells the jury by his presence in the courtroom, I'm not guilty. Am I right?
0: I see exactly what you're saying, yes.
2: Wow.
1: But it took them two hours to convict him, and that's pretty long.
2: Well, that's actually pretty scary. I mean, I tried a uh, child homicide once. The verdict was 15 minutes. That That's how strong the evidence was. Mm-hmm. And so you get a little nervous in a case with a confession and the guy coming out of the woods with sure. a knife and the jury's deliberating two hours. Sure. I mean, the poor prosecutor, this poor state, this isn't state's attorney, was probably biting their fingernails that Was all he
0: tried alone? He was. The second guy was used as a witness in the case. Um, that investigation and the interviews done in that investigation ended up solving an armed robbery, too, that both of them committed. Um, all in all, great case. It was the state's idea to use him as a witness as opposed to charging him. Mm-hmm. So he didn't get charged at all. He did not. Wow. For the
2: murder. You know, that's such an interesting tactic, Jim. And this happens in courtrooms across the country. And there mm-hmm. is a lot of controversy. A particular friend of Jim's and mine does not like cooperators, certainly not jailhouse cooperators. But it happens all the time for for very important reasons, because they're the ones there. Sure. They're the ones with the bird's eye view of whatever happened to the crime. People do not generally commit murders in front of, you know, right. the Pope or somebody that you would right. automatically believe. That's not where it happens. And so these cooperators can be critically important. And here he was corroborated himself by Luciano's own confession. So the jury could feel pretty confident.
0: Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, we build a case solely on co-defendant testimony. So the state has to make that determination.
2: Right. And it happens all the time in courtrooms all over the country because sometimes you only have what the co-defendants witnessed and nothing else or not much else.
1: But I know like in my office, when I was a prosecutor, we were very worried about giving a, quote, potential co-defendant a free ride in exchange for the testimony. Because then it seems like, well, of course, he's going to say everything you want him to say because you're not charging him. But if he has to plead guilty to something then at least he's taking some responsibility. Right.
2: It's a huge ri- huge risk. And as a prosecutor, I've certainly used cooperating co-defendants before. Um, I'm not sure I ever gave him a free ride, although I certainly understand the rationale, especially considering it appears anyway he was an accessory after the fact. So I understand it. But, yeah, it's hugely risky because juries naturally do not trust people who were involved right. in a crime who say, oh, that guy did it because I'm sure – Luciano blamed him right. at trial. That would be my guess. As his defense attorney, right. I don't know if Luciano testified, but I guarantee his yeah, defense attorney pointed the finger at the co-defendant because that's what they do—they point fingers at each Tuesday. other. They yes, do, Jim. They do. You've probably forgotten—it's been so long.
1: <clears throat> yes, because I'm so senior. But anyway, <laughs> other than that, the fact is that he pled—he excuse me—he he made a confession, but he went to trial. He was convicted. He was sentenced. Mm-hmm. So tell us, why is this case your best case?
0: It really sticks with me. I, I think it was my first murder case I'd ever helped on. And as a junior detective, you're not automatically thrown into work at murder and say, hey, this is yours. You know, you got to pay your dues, so to speak. I remember we worked really long hours, it's probably three, four days in a row at some point. Um, A lot of crucial steps in the investigation that were just done right, which made an impression on me. and kind of lasted with me for my career so far to make sure I do that stuff. I like to say that's why it's my best case. Because it was a learning experience. Absolutely.
1: You helped to solve the case. Right. Your instincts about the guy with the nervous stomach
0: turned out to be very true. Right.
1: And the fact that you picked up that clue, that blood puddle in the... In the driveway, it was really important. All the
0: cops on it did a great job. The patrolman who found him with a knife—I mean, they, everyone did the right thing. You know, it was, it's rare that there's everything comes together. You guys know it's rare.
2: There's always a, <laughs> there almost always is some mistake, right. something missed. It's everyone's human, but it sounds to me like you guys all came together and and got your man, and great he's case. in prison. So that's right. great. through to the
0: prosecution. The prosecutor was great. We always work with the same prosecutor on our murder cases. She's phenomenal.
2: Did you hear that, Jim?
0: Um, yeah, that there is a phenomenal prosecutor. Female prosecutor.
2: It's pretty much normal for really? female prosecutors to be phenomenal. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's my experience. Yeah, my experience. Wow. That's great for you. <laughs> but, John, we really appreciate you coming in to talk to us about your best case. That really was a best case. It
1: was. That's great. And it sounds like it was solved in a very short period of time. Very. Uh, that... Unfortunately, uh, the victim did not survive, but at least there was justice that the people responsible had to pay for their crimes.
2: That's right. That's what's important. Justice was served.
1: Definitely. Well, with that, we'll be signing off for this episode of Best Case, Worst Case. Until next time. Best case, worst case, is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, L.A. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba. And hosted by Wonder.
2: You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Knowledge is power, and when we know the facts about sexual abuse, we can better protect kids. Darkness to Light has already trained more than 1.4 million adults to keep children safe from sexual abuse.
2: I'm one of those 1.4 million, Jim. Using their Stewards of Children prevention training, they give you and gave me the facts, tools, and tips I needed to help keep the kids I love safe. And you can do the same with their Stewards of Children prevention training. Get trained today to prevent, recognize, and react responsibly to child abuse in your community.
1: Learn more about Darkness to Light and child sexual abuse prevention at www.d2l.org. That's D, the numeral 2, L, dot org.